This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Welcome to the Circuit of Success, and thank you for joining me. You know, it's been said that success comes to those who wait, but I believe the opposite. I believe that it's earned with the right attitude, a great belief system, and action every single day. When you mix that in with faith, courage, discipline, and most importantly, a vision, that's when greatness happens. Now let's dive right in to this week's guest. Welcome to the Circuit of Success podcast. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland, and today we're on in for a treat. We have a former Disney executive who led 40,000 employees, over 20 hotels, four theme parks, two water parks, the ESPN Sports Recreation Center, uh, author, all sorts of stuff. Lee Cockerell, welcome to the Circuit of Success. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, Good to be here. I'm glad you're here. So um, obviously doing research on you uh, the last few days, I've uh, found a man that's had a lot of talents and uh, has done a lot of things in his life. So I'm excited for you to be with our listeners today. And if you could go back uh, you know, into your life and kind of what's made you the man you are today and, and has gotten you to the point uh, through the leadership ranks of Disney that, uh, that you ended up retiring from. Well, uh, I started out, I was born in Oklahoma and grew up on a little farm there. Uh, I was telling people we didn't even have indoor plumbing back in those days, but we didn't know that was a problem until we went to somebody's house and had it. <laughs> and uh, my brother and I and our uh, family, uh, pretty poor. Uh, my mother was uh, married five times. She was pretty busy. Yeah. And uh, I got adopted twice. I got my name Cockrell when I was 16 from husband number four, which kind of is weird. But... Uh, he had money, so I got to go to college, but I forgot to go to class. So uh, <laughs> that didn't work out too well. And after two years, uh, my mother didn't want to pay for that anymore, so I went in the Army. And uh, after I got out of the Army, I got a job with Hilton Hotels as a banquet waiter. And uh, I tried to be the best little banquet waiter they had ever had with attitude and being on time and all that stuff. And a couple years later, I got in a management training program at Hilton and stayed with them for eight years. Worked in uh, Washington, Chicago, New York, uh, Los Angeles. But then I joined Marriott and worked for them for 17 years. I became vice president of food and beverage operations for them. And uh, I got recruited by Disney in 1990 to come to France and open Disneyland Paris. And uh, my wife always wanted to live in France, and she insisted we go. So we went. And it's the best decision. Way you go. Yeah, best decision I ever made. Uh, my career really took off then. I worked there for three years, opened that pro- project, and then I was recruited back to Orlando to Walt Disney World in 93, and I ran the operations, you know, all the operations there for about 10 years until I retired, and now I'm doing my own thing. Well, that's great. I mean, uh, Disney World, as you know, is obviously, uh, you know, well, the, the happiest place on earth, right? My wife and I and kids are big fans of that place. And yeah. one of my favorite things, though, about Disney, um, Walt Disney, I, I, I read this somewhere, maybe in his book or something, but they, they were interviewing Roy Disney at the opening of Disney World there in Orlando. And, and one of the reporters said, you know, isn't it sad that your brother not didn't get to see this? And uh, his reply was, sir, you're sadly mistaken. He saw every bit of this. Yeah. And so I just think that, you know, to start with that is about vision, right? Even though he wasn't physically alive to see it, you know, to to the end, uh, he saw it in his mind. And so talk to us about in, in your, you know, past and everything you just said there, which is phenomenal, that leadership with vision, 
uh, how important that is. Well, I think uh, vision is just kind of where you want to go, and uh, the map is doing all the hard work and get through all the obstacles and uh, putting up with a lot of nonsense along the way to get there and to be persistent, and he certainly was. Uh, he uh, obviously had some in talent, and he was could draw, and he had a lot of a creative mind, and but I think his most important thing was his persistence. He never gave up. You know, he even mortgaged his house to build Disneyland, and he was broke half the time. And then it just kept recovering and putting it together. And and uh, you would think after Disneyland for to have that uh, vision of opening Disney World when it was just Swampland here, and he flew over it and he said, "That's where it needs to be." And I think I mean, he built Bill Marriott was a lot. Same way, the founder, he bought land that nobody else wanted, and today it's uh, in the right in the middle of cities. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. you know, these guys have vision, there's no question. I mean, uh, and they're, they're risk takers, and uh, those are the people that make things happen in the world. Uh, vision, risk taking, and uh, I guess a lot of failure along the way until you get what you want, and that, that certainly was Walt Disney. Yeah, I think. Do you do you believe that they worked on it, and, and yourself included in this? When I say they, did you did you work on your vision a lot? I mean, is that what drove you for success throughout your career, or was it more of uh, of something else? No, I you know I was pretty insecure growing up the way I did, and my family was kind of uh, not all put together, and then I didn't have a college degree, so I would say I was a pretty insecure young man. And so I just tried to do the best job I could. And actually, I tell people I was surprised every time they promoted me. <laughs> and I think that's because I had a good attitude, good attitude and discipline. I'm very organized, and I do what I say I'm going to do, and I, I don't forget things. And I have a good system for writing them down and following up. And I think that's probably what gave me the opportunity. And then I must say along the way I was – always surprised but uh, then as I had more and more success later in my career I started to understand that I could make a difference and uh, started to have a vision of being more of a teacher for people and trying to teach people the things that they need to know earlier before they make all the mistakes I made in my career and so that's what I do today and I said we need less bosses and more teachers in the world and showing people the way and helping them uh, with their training and development and, and building their self-confidence and um uh, making sure they know they're doing a good job so they step up and do more than they ever thought they could do. Yeah, amen to that. What uh, what where did you what part of your career did you really decide or not decide but realize, I guess I should say that maybe you were different, right? That you were climbing the ranks, you were getting all these promotions. Was there ever that aha moment for you that talked about, "Okay, I I'm really making a difference here and here's what I can do uh, with this into the future?" Yeah, I think, you know, about halfway through my time at Marriott in the 80s, I uh, started to see that I had a lot of fans and people would call me for advice and wanted to know what I thought. And at first, I was a little taken back, but I guess I looked back and I had a strong work ethic. I'd grown up, I'd made something out of myself, and uh, they wanted to know how I did that. And so that's when I really started teaching more and giving people more encouragement and, and telling them how they can do it and to get them try to teach them how to be more organized and disciplined so they can take on more in their lives so that they'll be recognized and then uh, somebody will move them into a better position they'll have a better life better career and i talk a lot about uh, how important to keep your whole life together your business life your personal life all of it because uh, in about uh, 10 months my wife and i'll be married 50 years 
Oh, congrats. And yeah, and my mother was married four times, and I got the family average down. I'm working on it. But uh, that, it was that kind of thing. Of, no, you know, marriages are not perfect, and you have your ups and downs, and work's not perfect, you have your ups and downs. And I try to relay that to people so they don't give up the first time they have some obstacle that puts them down. So I have a lot of fun doing that. I do it today. I talk to people all over the world, and I will tell you, uh, everybody's got the same problems. People come up to me after I finish my seminars and say, I thought you were talking to me directly. And I said, well, probably was, because we all have the same problems. And, uh, and so it's, it's been great. I feel really good about what I do now. And uh, you know, when you help people and they call you back a few years later and say thank you, that's about the best uh, feeling you can get. So it is. It is a big, a big deal. deal. Well, let's talk about the uh, the first circuit in the circuit of success. Let's talk about attitude. You've already mentioned it a few times today. Talk to me about that. I, you know, we always talk about it's a choice every single day, right? You had a choice this morning to get up, and you could be a victor or you could be a victim. Um, but already, I know you've worked out this morning. Retired guy, you could say you you know you kind of made it, but you know you still got the discipline, which starts with an attitude, in my opinion. So tell me about the importance of attitude and how you kept yourself in a positive attitude all those years. Yeah, you know, it's amazing. I, I don't know if that is something that uh, you gain eventually. I've always been pretty loose and good attitude. I, uh, you know, I uh, was polite and all those things I learned growing up. And uh, I just... Uh, I guess I just was wired that way, and I'm glad I was. And then I started to see that when I was nice to people and I helped people and I was available for people, and uh, when there was nothing in it for me, uh, that uh, I got a really good feeling of helping others. And, I, and that's what I tell people. We need more teachers, less bosses, and we'd all be better off. And uh, then as I really got into my career at Disney, I really started to feel it because... You know, I had a big job, and I had a lot of influence, and I had a, uh, I, I could help people as much as I wanted to and did. And so at that point, my confidence had gotten pretty high that actually I wasn't faking it, that I knew what I was doing. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> and, you know, the technical part of your job is always easy. It's just the hard part's dealing with people and managing and leading people and um, getting them to feel good about what they're doing and excited to wake up in the morning and come to work and making sure they know they matter. You know, this is the key to my success, I think, is I really understand the, the power of making sure everybody knows they matter, be appreciated and rec recognized and encouraged. And that is a fuel that drives human performance, and all of us don't lose, use it enough. Yeah, and, and we'll, it's one of my questions, actually, is I've heard your talks, and uh, and that's what making people, uh, help people feel that they matter. So talk to our listeners right now there are leaders out there whether it's a leader in their house or a leader in their business or wherever it may be how do you how do you do that how do you make sure people understand they matter well i tell everybody it's pretty simple tell them <laughs> you know if somebody's doing a great job don't keep it to yourself as my wife said once she said lee if you love me tell me and i said well that's right and if you appreciate your people and they're doing a good job tell them it it will Lower your turnover. People will appreciate it. They'll feel better about themselves. They'll be more committed to the job. And I just find little ways. That even if you stop them in the hallway and say, I've been thinking about you lately. You're doing a great job. I hope you stay with us. I mean, you just have fired that person up. I mean, because we're all insecure at some point, And we, we need that. I don't care what level right. of life you're in. At the bottom or the top or wherever you think you're supposed to be. You need appreciation, recognition, encouragement, and we we all do, and we all want it, and it's a big human need. And 
I finally figured that out, and I learned that. And I, you know, I need it a lot because I'm insecure. And then I figure, well, if I need it so much, other people do too. So I pay a lot of attention to people when I'm in a room or when I'm with people or when I'm having coffee with them. I'm not looking at my phone and doing other things. I'm paying attention to them and trying to understand what they what they need, and then I, I try to help them. And wouldn't you agree too that it's uh, you said um, you know recognition, appreciation, all that kind of stuff. Sometimes I think as leaders we think, oh, we we give a bonus or we give them a pay raise, but a lot of times it's not even the monetary things, right? It, it's really just more recognition and more appreciation. Wouldn't you agree with that? I'd say it's mainly that because every bonus I got, I didn't think it was enough. <laughs> so I was still <laughs> That's right. That's a good point. But when my boss told me, "Lee, you're doing a great job. I'm glad you're on my team." That was more important. Yeah, that's a good yeah. perspective. At least emotionally. Sure, was, yeah. sure. So talk about beliefs. Um, I, you know, there's certain beliefs I have to my core that, that I believe that have helped make me successful and will continue to make me and others successful. What are those two or three things that I'm not going to shake Lee from this? I know that you believe this, period. Well, I think the one thing I always think is, you know, having the ability to stand up and do what's right, because I think there's a lot in corporate life. People will do the wrong things because they want to keep their job more than they want to keep their their soul <laughs> and uh, so and yep. trust is really important to me i mean people need to trust me and i need to trust them and so therefore i have to be very trustworthy and conduct myself properly so people will trust me well that's a big one and i think um kind of understanding what you will put up with and what you won't put up with in your life and to, to know that in advance so when it comes in business or personal life but you know the answer right on the spot. You don't have to go and think about it for three weeks, of what your values are and where you stand. And uh, and the other thing is I think the discipline, to learn how to be disciplined so you keep your promises, do what you say you're going to do, uh, be reliable, be credible. Those things are important to me because they're important to other people. And if you're not reliable and credible and don't do what you say you're going to do and don't follow up, people will start to not trust you. And because they don't know that you may just be disorganized, they think you don't care. And to me, I don't want anybody to think I don't care. And uh, so it's a, it's kind of a struggle. Uh, as, uh, always make being on stage and always behaving yourself. I think that's the hardest part for people to do is behave, not be sarcastic, uh, be available for people, uh, tell people the truth. Don't hold it back because you're helping them when you tell them the truth. And uh, make hard decisions because you're helping others when you make hard decisions and you help yourself. And uh, so I think about those kinds of things a lot. I don't want to sit around and take the easy route because when you do easy things, your life gets harder. <laughs> so. That's right. I 100% agree with that. My, my business partner, Tim Hammett, talks about that all the time. He says, easy decisions, uh, hard life. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Hard decisions, easy life. Exactly. So um, talk to us about actions or activities. What were those things, you know, when you were, you were getting in at whenever you got in the office and then you worked all day long and, you know, you had a family at home. What were those actions and, and activities that kept you successful um, at work and away from work? Well, I mean, I like routine. I really believe in it. I use my day planner and I, uh, you know, at Disney, I got in at 6.15 in the morning and my wife was still in bed when I left, and I didn't see her again until probably 6 or 7 that night. And I did my work Monday through Friday all day and what meetings and scheduled everything that I thought was important. And then at 5 o'clock, I went to the gym, worked out, so I would uh, get, get rid of some of that stress. And uh, got home and 
didn't see much of my wife a couple of hours and we went to bed and then I spent the whole weekend with them you know we do we go to lunch we go to see people spend time with the grandkids so I think a lot of people worry about time spent but it's really the quality of the time it's how you spend time I didn't go off and play golf and leave her at home on a Saturday and Sunday and other things and uh, so we got the balance and she's a saint she put up with all my nonsense working all the time and never been home and uh, she didn't mind being alone to, you know she enjoys that and she likes to read and uh, and um, so it just worked out I think uh, she knew that I loved her and she knew because I told her <laughs> and uh, she knew that uh, I was out there taking care of the family by trying to get my career as successful as I could and so, and she had, we had a son, and she was busy taking care of him while I was off working. So, it all shook out. And, uh, yeah, just pay attention to the important things. And it doesn't matter if you got to be, I even said that, you know, it doesn't matter if you, a lot of parents are home every night and they don't pay attention to their children or their wife. They watch, you know, right. play games or watch movies or not pay attention. And I think it's, it's how you spend your time, it's not how much of it. And, uh, they get the message that you care and you're there for yep. them. And I bought that when your kids are 13, they don't want to see you anyway. Exactly. I'm, I'm starting to go through that now where I'm uh, my 12-year-old, I, I see less and less of because he's out doing stuff with friends. <laughs> yeah, they don't want their parents around. <laughs> no, not as fun. Uh, walk me through this. So I was fascinated by this. Um, I've always told people, if, if somebody asked me, kind of what's that span of control, how many direct reports should you have? And and I have always learned and, and, and have practiced in my life is six to eight people reporting to you at most, right? No matter how many people. And so I saw one of your speeches and it talked about, well, you had 40,000 employees and you had 5,000 managers. And I'm like, okay, so this, I want to learn from this guy because how does he do that? And then it said, but he has six to eight direct reports. Right. So I'm just fascinated by that. 40,000 employees, 5,000 managers, six to eight direct reports. Walk us through that, how those numbers work and, and how you pulled that off. Well, I think the first thing, if you hire great people to report to you, they can handle a lot. And I tried to hire experts that, I, you know, literally I tell people, I didn't know much, but I had a lot of people around me who did. And they knew what they were doing from engineering to retail to food and beverage to security, transportation. And I had those experts. And if you hire great people and you take your time, and you give them authority and you give them responsibility and you let them do their job and you can be there for them. I didn't, I don't have a big need to be in control. I don't want, I don't need to know everything. I meet with them occasionally. They update me. Uh, they do their job and they do a great job. And that, that's if you hire great people. If you hire average people, you're going to have to be involved all the time. And at one point at Disney, I had 14 direct reports for a while until we thinned that down. That was and again, when you have great people, it's amazing. You can have a lot of people report to you when you're, they're great. Yeah, yeah you're right. They don't need you a lot, and they know what to do. And uh, so I think a lot of the times people get uh, a lot of anxiety and because they hire the wrong people, and then they end up having to meet with them, not trust them, being afraid to delegate to them. They don't get work done on time, all those kinds of things, which I really didn't have a problem with that. And, uh, and so that's probably the most of my success was having the right people and then making sure they were really, really, really good at their work, whatever they were an expert in. So, And, and how much time did you spend on the Disney vision, right? Uh, uh, did you do a lot of that? I mean, I read somewhere Steve Jobs talked about, right, my job is to hire people much smarter than me, show them a vision, and then get out of the way. I mean, was that, was that kind of the, the theory you subscribe to? 
Yeah, I would say we had a purpose statement that I uh, put together and uh, preached it for 10 years that everybody at Disney has a different job, but we only have one purpose. And that purpose is to make sure that every guest that comes to Disney World has the most fabulous time of their life. And then uh, we worked on that. Operations, rec check-in, phone calls, uh, getting on the ride, selling ice cream. That Every guest has an interaction with a cast member that creates a fabulous experience for them so that when they leave, they go, wow. That was unbelievable, and uh, it needs to be everybody. The guy that cleans the bathrooms, the lady that sells you an ice cream cone, the server in the restaurant, all have to be kind of given that level of service that sends the message, you're important, you're going to have a great time here, and if you don't have a great time, we're going to fix it before you leave. And uh, so that strong purpose, you know, when people, you know, it's like the guy cooking french fries. I said, you know, he needs to know that his purpose is not cooking french fries his purpose is making sure every guest has a great time so he's got to do them right cook them right salt them keep them hot and um, we try to make that connection through the whole organization that everybody knows they fit into the final uh, experience the guest has no matter if they ever see a guest or not and that's a powerful thing that's very powerful I'm, I, it gives me chills thinking about it. i can recall I don't know, maybe seven or eight years ago, going to Disney World, and, and one of my boys, uh, you know, maybe had one lick off his ice cream cone, and that thing toppled down and went straight onto the ground. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And I'm not kidding you, within like, I'm not exaggerating, like 25 seconds, there was a person cleaning up the ice cream cone on the ground and another person handing him a brand new ice cream cone. Yeah. And I'm like, wow. Well, that's the Disney experience right there. And the experience is because we give the frontline cast authority to take care of the guests. We don't have to get a manager. You don't have to it's just do the right thing. And 90% uh, of the problems are not that serious. They just need to be taken care of. Now, your son's ice cream cone was a serious for him. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was very serious. But for Disney, we can just make it happen. What? So, and, right. And we let, it, we let the frontline cast make it happen. Yeah, that's that's a big deal. That's a real big deal. So talk to me about the the stuff that goes on. Like, what's it take to run? Uh, you had all these theme parks, but let's just take Magic Kingdom for example. What, what's the what's the day like for a guy like you? Obviously, you're probably not thinking about the day to day of Magic Kingdom, but what's that process like before the gates open? Yeah, well, of course, the, there's been a crew there all night, hosing down, cleaning the place up. All the maintenance people have checked all the rides for safety all night long. There's a big staff there all night long checking everything. Security, with the, we even have dogs checking to make sure everything's safe. Nothing's been left around where it shouldn't be. Uh, it's uh, like a new place every morning. And um, then the guests start gathering. And uh, my favorite time was to stand on Main Street before it opened and watch the first guests come around the corner when they saw the castle. You would just see mothers just so excited to show it to their daughter for the first time. Or I mean, it's pretty amazing. People are just enthralled. And so uh, then I would say by then we have well-trained people. Everybody knows what they're supposed to do. So if you start wanting anything at that point, when we open, we're ready. And uh, it, it it's a... Uh, Day time. of business. Busy, 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 busy. <laughs> exactly. And we have to shut it down and do it all over again. And uh, a lot of routine, a lot of policies, operating guidelines, making sure we do the same things every day because we've got a lot of safety issues we've got to pay attention to, sure. uh, cash issues, uh, staffing, uniforms. So there, I would say all of our people are taught to follow a good checklist of systems to make sure we do it the same way every day. 
That's just like a pilot, right? In the cabin. Absolutely. I love that analogy, a pilot. If I tell people, would you like to be on a plane where the title says, I don't have the checklist, but I think I can remember what we're supposed to do. I think I did all everything <laughs> I needed to do. Yeah. yeah. Right before you get on Space Mountain, I think we checked all those bolts. Yeah. No, we, we checked them all. Exactly. What, uh, how, do you, how do you define success? Well, you know, for success for me, it depends. I tell people, if you're happy, you're successful. But not yeah, only that. Is your family happy? I said, you know, if you're happy and your wife's not, you're not happy. You're not successful. So uh, I think it's thinking about uh, whatever your beliefs are and uh, are you able to achieve those? And for me, uh, you know, it takes a lot of effort to depend on how big your goals are and what you want to do and how many people you want to touch. Uh, success to me is a feeling like I've accomplished something and that my whole life is I'm happy. I don't lay awake at night worrying about everything because I think I've pretty much done the right things all day. And uh, so, yeah, success is, uh, it's different for every single person, I would say. Uh, and uh, I was able to find mine. I fell into the hotel business and theme park business. I didn't plan to go there. It just happened. And it's probably the luckiest thing that ever happened to me because I really liked it. I, uh, I would say 99% of the days I woke up and was happy to go to work and and uh, felt good about it on balance. It was great. Our guests were happy, and we were doing a good job. I didn't like some of the days, like 9-11 and hurricanes and recessions and cost management issues. But on balance, it was it was great, and that made me happy and successful. And you know, when I'm having successful, I come home and I'm uh, nice to my wife, and then she's happy. <laughs> so. Absolutely. Talk us while we're on that topic, since it's the month of September and, and that tragic day. What was going on uh, at Disney that day, on September well, 11th? I was up in my office. I'd gotten N615. I'd kind of planned my day, and uh, I was going through my email, and and uh, I didn't usually have a meeting till 8:30. My wife called me and said uh, she was driving in our car and just heard she said a plane just hit the World Trade Center. I said, "Well, good, good grief!" You know, I was thinking, "Well, some little plane." Right. And uh, so I walked over to my boss's office, and uh, we turned on his television, and then, bam, the second plane. And it wasn't just a few, not long, very shortly after, when it hit the Pentagon, we opened our command center, because then it was obvious something was really going on. And we can open our command center in 30 minutes. We have 22 command centers on property. Everybody wow. gets them open. We run it from the main one. And uh, we ordered an evacuation. We had everybody out by 11.30 or so, back to their hotels. And that's in every park in, in that Disney World owns, or yeah. that Disney owns. Yeah, we got, we got them all out and back in safely, and then we started taking care of them. We had the characters go over to take care of the kids. The emotions were high, people crying. A lot of yeah. people from New York and New Jersey. I mean, it was rough. They couldn't, you know, they couldn't fly out. All the rental cars were gone. They had to stay. We we comped rooms for days. We comped uh, phone calls around the world. People that had no credit left on their credit card. We took care of their meals. I mean, we were ready because we practiced two or three times a year simulations on crisis. So we know what to do. We know when to happen. 25 people end up in the command center. Everybody knows what they're supposed to do. We work with the radio stations, with local authorities. We, I mean, it's a, it's precision i can tell you uh, we we developed that over the few years and we really do a great job there's no safer place to be than disney if something happens so i was really proud of that day it was uh people did a good job that's a big deal yeah. man that's a big deal 
And just again, learning here, uh, everything you're talking about the process, right? Having passion for that process because you never know when the day the September 11th is going to happen and you, your team better be ready, right? Absolutely. We got a whole manual system. If power goes down, we got everything we can, we've, we've covered every scenario and, uh, we practice, so we have a company that puts us through the practice. You might get a call at 3 in the morning, and I have to go open the command center, and we go through a five, six, seven hour practice session where they keep putting obstacles up, and we have to figure out what to do and how to do it. And so wow. by the time something happens, we've practiced so much that we're, we're, we're ready. Well, for all the families out there listening, on behalf of all of them, man, we thank you guys for doing that because we are there for a great time with our precious little kids and uh, creating memories. And uh, we appreciate you guys making us safe. Um, let's let's talk about your ten common sense leadership strategies. So you've got you've got three books: um, Creating Magic, uh, one. You've got the Customer Rules, and you've got uh, Time Management Magic. Uh, and from those books, let's talk about those ten common sense leadership strategies. What are those? And you don't have to go through all 10 if you don't want, but let's name a couple of those that you think our listeners uh, would really find a lot of value in. Well, I think the first one is the one. If you get the first one right, strategy number one, uh, your whole life changes. And that one is remember everyone is important. And we talk about how to make sure that people know they're important. We know how to be available for them, how to listen to them, how to help them with their careers. And that's the name of the game. We want to make sure everybody knows they are important. And our management and our leadership team, we hire the kind of people that easily can do that. And they have a lot of discipline and empathy. And uh, so I'd say that's the first one. The second one is create magic through training. You know, training, training, training. We train, we test, and we enforce the training so that the show is the same every day, just like on Broadway. Uh, we got the right players, the right script, what you can say, what you can't say, what you can do, what you can't do. And our, our cast members are well-versed in that. Okay, we have one on uh, make sure you have the right people in the right jobs. And a whole series about how to interview and hire better, make sure we don't make mistakes. There's one on uh, eliminate the hassles for your customers and for your employees. You know, hassles like return policies, uh, exchange policies, uh, whatever policy you can dream up that every corporation has, and we try to always be looking at those to see if we can reduce those and lessen those so the guests don't get annoyed with us over some policy or procedure we have. And also for the employees, if they don't right. are not uh, blocked from doing their jobs because of some policy or procedure we put in their way. That's why the frontline cast can take care of you when you drop your ice cream. A lot of companies, you'd have to go get a manager or something. I mean, and uh, they go on like that. And then the last one is uh, we talk about character and uh, professionalism. And we outline exactly what it looks like at Disney. A whole bunch of a line of love what you do and, uh, and don't uh, be complaining about the company uh, publicly to anybody. If you got a problem, go talk to your boss about it. Don't, don't, don't be a poor role model in front of other people. Uh, always be in... Uh, costume properly and uh, grooming guidelines and uh, many, many things around professionalism because we want to make sure that, you know, we don't know how people think about professionalism. If you say that word, everybody could think about it differently. We don't want them to think about it differently. We want every guest to have the same experience with every cast member they bump into over four or five days. So it's pretty well laid out. That book, Creating Magic, is a, a good role. Uh, just It's a good recipe book for anybody to use to run their business. And last, I have a new book, too, that came out in November. It's called Career Magic. And it's uh, 
really written for people to understand how to handle obstacles in their careers and personal lives because they're going to happen. I'm sure people sit out there and think Leacock will just have the perfect life. Well, I didn't. I've been fired. I've been passed over. I've been disappointed. I've been, and uh, I, I wrote that because I didn't want people to think, you know, look, too many people give up the first time they have an obstacle in their life. And that's just, you can't do that. you got to just pick yourself up and go around and get, get on with it. Because uh, some of your best days are usually ahead of you. And uh, that's how I think about those kinds of things. And that's good material for training, you know. I just did a program for the Entrepreneurs Organization in Detroit. And these are all business people who are very successful. And it's the same thing. They want to learn how to get better and better and better because competition is brutal. And uh, mm -hmm. you got to get better faster today because people are coming after you. You know, there's somebody else on a podcast right now talking to somebody else who's trying to take somebody else's business. <laughs> and then all the competition from around the world, China, and, uh, Japan, and Russia. And, oh, man, I right. mean, you better have your act together. And how easily today companies are disrupted, you know. Look at Uber, disrupted the taxi business just almost overnight. And, uh, you know, uh, driverless cars are going to disrupt the insurance industry. There are going to be less people on accidents yes. on the highways and less organs for transplants and you just don't realize the downstream, what happens when something gets disrupted. So if you're in business, you better be thinking about what can disrupt my business, and I better get on it now. Yeah. That's a big one. I'm writing that down. What can disrupt your big business? Because, you know, you think about the, the coolness, I'm using air quotes, of these, uh, these you know, car, self-driving cars and all that stuff. But, I, you know, I've never thought about the perspective of less organ donors. So <laughs> I'm thinking if I'm in the medical industry right now, I'm thinking about how can I – recreate a kidney or something right i mean there's things that are uh that's gonna be majorly disrupted that's a great perspective right well there. and that's where most of them come from or accidents and uh, so and we already got a big problem with transplants not having enough and that'll be interesting to see how that shakes out because uh something upstream can damage people way down the line that don't even realize it it's coming right yeah being a time management expert is what I would call you is talk to us about time management, right? So we've got all these uh, people listening right now. And again, whether that's a, a mom managing a bunch of children at home and a dad at home with some kids, or it's a you know a partner of a big old firm, what, what, uh, what can you give us on time management? Well, I'd say, first of all, most people are disorganized. They don't teach this in high school, which they should be doing. And they don't teach it in college. And then people get out into life and everything's coming at them. They, you know, they got to be at a soccer game and their boss wants something at 5 o'clock and they got to pick up the laundry and their mother-in-law's flying on Saturday and on and on and on. And now we got all these emails coming at us, texts, uh, you name it. And people are not, they don't have a good system for keeping, it's like the pilot. He has a good checklist. Well, most people do have a good checklist at work, but they don't have one for their life. And uh, so I've been teaching time management for probably 35 years. And I wrote this book, Time Management Magic, How to Get More Done Every Day, because I worry about that. I made sure my son went through my course before he went to college. I said, you know, we have a rule in our family. We only pay for four years. <laughs> so you got to go to class, sit on the front row, pay attention, get out. And uh, most people don't understand these concepts. So every day you get up and you think about yesterday first. Anything you, you know, reflection, what you didn't do so well yesterday. Think about how I can go back and fix that. And the next time you do it better. And then think about all the responsibilities in your life, from your career 
to your spouse or partner, to your children? What do you need to do today for them? Your 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 retirement, your health, like mine. You know, I schedule my workouts. I make sure I do them because they're important. We teach people how to learn to schedule the priorities in their life. I think a lot of people just think, well, that's the way it is. I'm just disorganized. No, it's not the way it is. You can get better. It's learned like any course. And uh, I'm really, I just did a program for 100 school districts in Texas on this very subject. Teach these kids how to get their act together. I mean, you're teaching them a lot of information, but they can't execute on it. They can't get it done. They, they're late to work. They don't get their work done on time. They don't have attention to detail. They don't know how to keep up with multiple projects at one time. So I'm really big on that one, and uh, I even got an online time management course. People are buying and uh, taking the course, and because this one thing is probably more important than anything else. Because if you doesn't matter what you know if you can't pull it off, and you got to get it done, and you got to get it done. You got to be reliable, and you got to be right. credible, and you got to be a person who keeps your promises if you want to be successful. Whether you're a parent or whether you're, you know, it's not even about time management. It's about how do you keep your whole life under control. And uh, so that's what I like to work with because I see big changes in people when they understand what this is and they quit having excuses. I say nothing's the way it is. The way things are is the way you let them be, not the way it is. Right. <laughs> so if you got a problem, go fix it. Go learn. Can get more organized. And so you mentioned earlier uh, when we were talking about the September 11th day, and you and you just briefely mentioned that you were in the office that morning at 6:15. Walk, walk me through that. You said you normally didn't have your first meeting until 8:30. Walk me through that two hours and 15 minutes there. What was the typical morning like for you? Yeah, well, first of all, I would uh, kind of plan what I was going to do today and tomorrow and next few days, just look at it and make sure I'm on track to go visit the parks or go to a session. Uh, sometimes I'd find a meeting in my calendar and I'd want to not go to that. I'd send somebody else. So I just kind of make sure my calendar is really solid and I know where I'm going, what I'm supposed to do. And uh, then I did all my email, because I like to answer my email personally. I didn't have my secretary do it. I want to talk to people directly, and no misunderstandings. And, um, you know, that morning I had my plan all put together, my day planner, and ready to go. And, of course, uh, that changed a lot at 8.45, 8.46. It changed. Which is a whole other concept, right, to talk about, is just because your day has been planned that way doesn't mean that's how it's going to go. So you got to adapt to some changing. I adapted big time for the next uh, probably two months. I did nothing but work on how to get the cost structure down and get it under control because we lost 35% of our business that day with cancellations. And uh, so all that other stuff I had to set on the side and uh, come back to it later. There's a time when you got to go in the bunker and do what has to be done, and then there's other times you can have kind of a normal day and do the, do the important stuff. But uh, that day was urgent and vital that we got on it. And so we pretty much quit doing everything else we were doing, and I think we were working seven days a week for about three weeks till we got a plan in place. and. And I can go back in my day timer and see what I was supposed to do back there on uh, 9-11. <laughs> and then I'd start doing it later. And that, yeah. So walk us through that. Because, I mean, that is significant. 35% of Disney's business out the door because of that event. So how do you overcome that? For the, for the people listening right now, I mean, I can't imagine losing 35% of my business right now. Uh, how do you get through that? And what was your biggest learning from that? Well, the biggest learning was my our boss, Al Weiss, was great. He said, you know, I want you guys to go in the room and figure out how we're going to take $400 million out of our cost base. And we're not going to lay anybody off. And uh, we, we thought he was crazy. And uh, 
we went in a room with 25 people work day after day after day and, and then we started talking to the cast and they had ideas and so we got hundred dollar ideas thousand dollar ideas we got people to take vacation we got all kinds of things and we came up with it and uh, it's a good thing we didn't because by december january people were already coming they weren't flying they were driving our parking lots were they were parking on the grass we didn't even have enough parking and so uh it's amazing when you get a good bunch of smart people in the room, you can figure out a lot of things. If you try to go in and do it by yourself, you can't. And uh, so uh, that's how we worked on it. And uh, we had the operating hours. We had to close the hotel. We changed the opening hours, closing hours. I mean, we just did lots and lots of things. And uh, we, we got to where we needed to be. And I think that was a good one of the best lessons for me is don't underestimate what you can do when you get a group of smart people in the room. Yeah. You're amazing how uh, 25 people can save 400 million dollars. Oh it? man, I was I didn't I didn't think it was possible. And that's why I learned a good yep. lesson. And I think our boss thought it he knew it was. And he, he's a finance guy too. And he said, "You guys can find it." And we did it. And uh, nobody lost their health insurance. Nobody got laid off. Uh, everybody had their job. They might have had less hours. Like everybody took. You know, you might have worked 30 hours. Two hours instead of forty, but we kept everybody employed, and uh, they'll they'll never forget that. And uh, they're nope. more committed than ever than they've ever been because we treated them right. Unbelievable. So, talk to us about uh, leadership retreats. Is that something that you did with your team? Uh, you know, we go off site uh, once a quarter, uh, myself and our leadership team, and and just plan and strategize. And and thankfully, we haven't had to try to find a way to save $400 million. It'd be a good problem to have, to have to worry about that. But um, talk to us about that. Did you have those strategy sessions offsite? Yes, we did. Uh, I, we had an executive committee. It was about nine, 10 people, including legal and finance and IT and operations for my job and uh, marketing sales. We often, uh, I'd say at least once a year, sometimes twice, we would leave the property and go to, a competitor somewhere where we could get away and not be thinking about going back to our office to get something done or you know all that kind of stuff we weren't interrupted we could focus and we usually did it for a couple of days it helped us all get to know each other better and we also worked on uh, whatever strategy we had whether it was friend more friendliness more cleanliness more cost management uh, whatever the issues were and we did that, and then I did it with my team once or twice a year, and uh, yeah, and I just did it with a group yesterday. I thought we talked about how important it is to get away from your routine and go away and sit and reflect on what you need to be working on because half the time we're so busy every day we don't even remember what we did today, and we're so right. busy handling things coming at us right and left we don't think about what we ought to be working on for the future, and the future will come. I told somebody the other day, I said, it comes every few seconds. <laughs> so you better, yes. <laughs> you better be thinking about what, what do you want to implement in six months from now and get to working on it. Because if you don't think about it, you won't get it done, and then your competitor may have it, and then you're in trouble. And uh, so, yeah, that time to sit and reflect and, and uh, really look forward and look back. And it's really important. I think it's, uh, you know, it's so important for every company to take that time to do that it's a, it's a powerful thing very powerful very powerful we it's a lot of learning that comes from those things and lots of uh, inspiration motivation all that kind of stuff so highly recommend it to those business leaders that they're not doing that what uh, what would you say is the number one thing that you found through your leadership uh, working with thousands and thousands and thousands of people 
What was the thing that held people back the most, do you believe? Oh, I think insecurity probably and uh, and uh, some a lot of people are introverted, so they don't speak up and my goal was to have really have comfortable relationships with everybody so that they could kind of feel safer to talk to me and and I, and I really, over and over, I really pushed it hard through all of our management systems that uh, uh, I'm available, our people are available, we won't get in trouble. Every manager, every executive at Disney has a confidential voicemail where if you don't trust your leader, you're afraid to say something like a lot of people are, you can leave a message. We won't know where it came from. We just leave us the issue. If you want to leave your name, great. We'll get back to you. But if you don't, we find a million ways to try to make sure the cast is talking to us and feels comfortable. Uh, we don't want them to go to the newspaper when they got a problem or to get a lawyer or file a class action suit because we could probably solve their problem. So we have a lot of reasons to make sure that we have a good relationship with everybody and that they feel comfortable coming to us. But still, a lot of them don't because they've had bad experience with leadership along the way. And, you know, it's not like all the leaders in the United States are behaving right now. So uh, we have other alternatives where they can get to us with the issue so we can go out about fixing it before it becomes a bigger issue. So I think that's, I think that's a genius idea, that little voicemail, the uh, anonymous voicemail. That's oh, a big it's deal. Huge. It's huge. And every morning I had somebody left it on there for me, and, you know, something that was going wrong in their department, and the manager wasn't taking care of it. And I remember one lady said, Lee, I know you'll handle this. And I did. I got HR involved. and went over there, and they took care of the problem. And uh, I didn't have to know her name because she knew I took care of it because it got taken care of right away. And, uh, so what's the uh, one piece of leadership advice if you could give? And they said, Lee, you can only give one. I would say what what is it? That advice is the one my wife told me thirty years ago. Be careful what you say and do today, Lee. They are watching and judging you. Hmm. And I would say that for parents, for leaders, be careful what you say and do. You're being judged. You, you know, you think I always says so somebody says, Well, everybody thinks their kids are sleeping when they're talking about them. Kids are never sleeping. <laughs> be careful <laughs> be careful. That's exactly right. Be careful what you say and do in front of people. Your reputation's at stake, and just don't do it. No inappropriate jokes. No, no talking about Muslims or Jewish people or gay people or whatever. Just let it go. It's none of your business, and don't participate in it. Be careful what you say and do. I'm, uh, I'm pausing because I'm writing that down. That is great advice. So let's look back on your career again, and what would you give advice? So let's go 10, 20 years, however far back you want to go. What advice would you give Lee Cockrell today? to that guy back when he was, say, 40, 45 years old? I would say at that point, when you're about 45 in that range, you better decide whether you're going to stay where you are or you're going to make the leap. Uh, when I was 48, I joined Disney. And uh, I think a lot of people, it's, it's, it's tough because I had a good job at Marriott. I was making great money. I was having a great stock options, all the stuff. They, you know, I had been there 17 years, but I was pretty bored. And uh, this chance to go to France and uh, live in France. I got a French daughter-in-law out of it. I got three kids, grandkids that are half French, half American. They're fabulous. Uh, I think you got to sit down. Uh, I always tell people, you can have a good life or a great life. And that's about the time you better decide. Because if you stay there, you'll probably stay there and not be so happy for the next few years if you're not really excited about what you're doing. If you're excited about what you're doing, keep doing it. If you're not, 
uh, in our family anyway, we take the risk, we make the move, and we don't want to look back and have regrets that we wish we had done this and wish we had done that, because regrets are really hard to deal with. So that's what I would tell people. Well, Lee, you've had a, uh, an amazing life. You uh, have learned a lot from your young childhood, I'm, I'm sure. You, you had a great yeah. professional career. You've got a wonderful wife of almost 50 years. My parents celebrated 50 years this past July, so that's a big deal, especially in today's world. Real big deal. And uh, what's next? What's next for Lee Cockrell? Well, today I am. Uh, I got the four books out and the podcast. I have a podcast, you know, every Tuesday. It's called Creating Disney Magic yep. on iTunes and all. And uh, what I'm working on right now is working with uh, universities and high schools on how what what how we. Should. I just came back from Oklahoma State University. They're using my material there now. University of Oklahoma is using that. Uh, Rollins College here in Orlando. University of Central Florida. I'm getting it in because I know this material can help people be better. And so I'm really interested in working with education, and I'm really work interested in working with healthcare, hospitals and medical providers because patient improving patient care is vital. And uh, my wife and I went through a tough time where she almost died a few years ago, and I was in the, she was in the hospital 64 days, billed $700,000. I ended up with anxiety and depression over it, had to get treated by a psychiatrist, and a lot of that was me. I shouldn't have been there every day. Uh, nobody was paying attention to me. I ended up worse off than she was, <laughs> you know. So I said she got better and I got worse. So healthcare has a lot of opportunity to have be more hosp more hospitality and um, take care of you, and more paying attention to the children, the patients. Uh, the, 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 I was a caretaker for 18 months for my wife, and it really took me down. I didn't. Just didn't realize. So those two areas, education, healthcare, are pretty interesting to me right now. Yeah, it's a big deal. Is you're right. It's the person you hear that a lot, right? When somebody gets ill, that the uh, the person taking care of them is the one that gets damaged a lot. Absolutely. So where can our listeners find more of uh, more of you, Lee? What uh, social media, website, all that stuff? Well, I'm on all of those. I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. I uh, use that to promote my business and to give the little stories here and there about what I'm doing. My podcast goes out every week on Tuesday, Creating Disney Magic. It's on iTunes and all those different sites, wherever you get your iPod or your podcasts. It's on my main thing is go to my website, leecockerel.com, and I put everything there. So I know where it is. So if you're for books, or seminars, or podcasts, or whatever you want. Well, it's a, it's a lot of great stuff on there. I've spent a lot of time on there, and I'll tell you, too, for our listeners, uh, you want more of Lee Cockrell, you also go to YouTube. He's got lots of great speeches on there, but uh, also can contact through us. We can get you in touch with him if you want to hire him for your uh, for your organization because he's got a lot of great stuff out there. And, Lee, I just appreciate you taking the time uh, to spend time with a guy in St. Louis and uh, just give me tons of wisdom and tons of pages of notes here today and for our listeners uh, to spend time with us. So greatly appreciated, my friend, and uh, thanks for joining us on the Circuit of Success podcast. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Tune in next week for another episode of the Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and through our website, circuitofsuccess.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and email any questions to info at circuitofsuccess.com. This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm.